0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8-13. through I will be reading from the message. Here are these words of scripture. I know I distressed you greatly with my letter. Although I feel awful at the time, I don't feel bad at all, knowing that I see how it turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a while. Now I'm glad, not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you away from him. The result was all gain, no loss. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God, or of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. And now, isn't it wonderful? All the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God—you're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, and more responsible. Looked at from any angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart, and that is what I was hoping for in the first place when I wrote the letter. My primary concern was not for the one who did the wrong or even the one wronged, but for you that you would realize and act upon the deep, deep ties between us before God. That's what happened, and we felt just great. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, flautus. That's the right word, right? Did I say it right? Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) So long ago, long, long ago, years and decades and centuries ago, when I first began in ministry, I was a a youth director. And I was a youth director at a church uh, in the Youngstown area. And part of my job was to lead a youth mission trip each and every year. And the company that we worked with for these mission trips, they had opportunities all over the United States. They were in all types of different areas, urban, rural, suburban, you name it. And so at the very beginning of my first year, I went to the youth and I asked them, where do you want to go this year? because I didn't know better to put parameters around questions to teenagers. And so they said, well, we want to go to a Native American reservation. And I thought, well, that sounds fun. And so I did some research, and I discovered that the nearest mission opportunity at a Native American reservation was the Leech Lake Reservation in northern Minnesota. So guess where we went the next summer? It was a a 14-and-a-half-hour drive. The youth were absolutely fine with that. They were going to sleep, like, the whole way, right? That's what they do. Luckily, I also had some very adventurous chaperones who were willing to make that trek. And so that next summer, we drove off to Leech Lake Reservation, and I was consumed with that 14-and-a-half-hour drive. I was consumed and distracted with getting us um, through Chicago and staying in Chicago overnight and keeping track of all of these kids and then finally making our way to the reservation and with 25 kids and all of our chaperones. And so I didn't fully appreciate what we were going to experience in Leech Lake until we actually arrived there. Now, of course, I had learned in school about the European settlers and and taking Native Americans' land, and I learned about the Trail of Tears. And as a group, we had done some pre-work and talked about the historical trauma that we were going to encounter there, how being forced from their land and, and stripped of their language and culture, it had It had done a number on the Native American people. It wreaked havoc on their families. But until I got there, all of that was just stories. It was ancient history to me. Then in Leech Lake, those stories were standing right in front of us. And we saw the results of the unresolved collective trauma of hurting people who were struggling with addictions and suicide and and mental illnesses. And at one point, I had the opportunity to talk with the current leader of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe people. And I very distinctly remember standing there and listening to him tell about his people, share about their struggles and their joys, how some were trying to reclaim their heritage while at the same time, others were struggled, being pulled between celebrating their heritage and then living in the dominant culture. And as I was standing there, I felt the heaviness of the guilt wash over me, and it just settled in. Not because he, this this leader, was making me feel guilty, he was simply sharing but because I saw in a new way, right in front of me, how my people, people of European descent, and let's be honest, people of the church, participated in the harm and the trauma that was inflicted on his ancestors. And I regretted that part of our collective history. And so under the weight of all of this regret and this guilt, I wanted to do something. I wanted to say something to him. But the word sorry just seems so very inadequate. And so instead, I listened. I prayed that he could see it in my eyes. He could see how I was feeling, and he could see it in my actions. And so after that conversation, my posture for the week changed It changed from one of of helping and doing to one of being present in the moment, of listening and learning from them. Looking back now, I can see that that trip began my own personal journey of repentance of the harm inflicted on the Native American people. And in today's scripture that Mitchell read for us, Paul, the author of this letter to the Corinthian people, He's teaching them about this distress, he calls it, the grief or the pain or the hurt that happens when individuals or communities act harshly or wrongly toward one another. Because this happens, we are human and we we hurt and then we hurt others. The important part for Paul, though, isn't that grief or that pain. It isn't sitting in that guilt but it's what is done because of it. In today's reading, Paul affirms the Corinthian community, and he says to them, you let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from God. The result then was all gain, not loss. Distress that drives us to God is just that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. Distress, or this word can be translated as regret, it can be a good thing, even if it's uncomfortable, if it causes us to repent, to turn around from one way of being towards another. Often we talk about repentance. We talk about repentance towards God most of the time. Turning away from from a sin, from, from a harm, or whatever is keeping us from God, those things and what we call them. Turning away from that and then turning towards a full relationship with God. But repentance can also lead to restoration of right relationship between people as well. Repentance towards another individual. In today's scripture, Paul is talking about repentance between the Corinthians and himself. The Corinthians repent, they reorient themselves, placing them in this mutual relationship with Paul once again. But we do this in our lives as well, when we restore our relationships with other people after hurting them or harming them. And that leads to a more whole relationship with God then, Because it clears our path towards God, recognizing the essence of God that is within each and every person. True repentance, though, it's complex. It's not simply saying sorry and then moving on and forgetting about it. True repentance is this continual work and this commitment in order to end one behavior and then begin another behavior. It's hard. It means becoming a different and more whole person. It changes the core of who we are. And this hard work has a better chance of sticking. We have a better chance of doing it if we ask God along in the journey. But then the question remains, well, why do we have to? (laughs) isn't it easier to just let bygones be bygones and just not worry about it? The past is behind us. But Paul speaks to this in today's scripture. In verse 11, he, he begins with, and now, isn't it wonderful, all the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God. You're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate more responsible. And he says, it looked at from any angle you've come out of this with purity of heart. Standing with that leader of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe people, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how to acknowledge the harm that had been done without inflicting more harm. Because sometimes the words we say, they don't actually come across the way we mean them. I had more learning to do first. I had to learn about the American Indian people. I had to learn about our history between our peoples and the things that unite us. I had to learn what I was repenting from in order then to do the hard work of repentance. And so I read books and I studied and I talked with people and I listened. I took one step and then another and then another. And I stumbled (laughs) along the path, but I tried my very best to do that one next step, that one drop that Jenny was talking about in the children's moment. And I invite you to do the same. Today is Native American Ministries Sunday, and so we recognize and take this moment to learn about repentance and think about how it applies to our Christian faith and we have we've provided some resources out in the entryway and online to give you an opportunity to look at those things take that one next step down this new path of restoration with others and with God until we break open this evil among us and we name it and we claim it until we do that we can't repent and move forward together. This is true for all the systemic harm that is done, as well as our personal harm that we do. I know we can all think of at least one person that we have harmed, and we might not know what it is we have exactly done, but we do know we've hurt them. And so then that takes going to that person, listening learning from them, talking to them, and being open to what they have to say, to work towards a new path together. And we do this each and every time we come to Christ's table. Each and every time we celebrate Holy Communion, we have an opportunity to repent of our sin. It says in the liturgy, we repent of our sin and sin—our sin against God and one another— And so, as we take this time to prepare ourselves for Holy Communion, I want us, I want to invite us to take a moment to think about those people that we've wronged. And traditionally, long ago, before even I was a youth pastor, it was that long ago, in the Christian, you guys are just not awake today. Oh my gosh. Long ago. It used to be the tradition that people would go to the person they have wronged and make right before coming to the table. Now our circles are much bigger now, and we're not able to do that before coming to this table. So this is an opportunity to think of those people, pray through it, ask God into that relationship, and then make a commitment to go talk to that person. To listen to them and learn how we can move forward together. And so I invite you into this time of silent reflection. Let us come before God with a clean heart. Family of faith, there are very few things as powerful as a group of people that admits that they are not perfect and they ask for grace as they grow together. Imagine what our world might look like if every institution, every individual had this weekly rhythm. Friends, we can light the way. Let us be brave in our truth-telling, honest in our confession, because we know that we will always, always, always be met with grace. I invite you to pray with me the bold words of this prayer of confession and words of forgiveness. We send to you, Creator God, our dreams, visions, and prayers. For the heart of the people, created with your sacred fire burning within us, we confess that we struggle to live out our great potential. When we do harm to your creation, your creatures and fellow human beings, forgive us all. When we fail to do all the good we can in all the places we can, when we turn away from your love and grace. Hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. I am forgiven. We are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he was eating with his disciples, his friends, and he took the bread from his table and he gave thanks to God. And then he told his disciples, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper was over, he took the cup from their table. And again, he gave thanks to God. And he told his disciples, take, eat, This is the blood of my new covenant given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Most holy God, we pray that you might pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we get to feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church— All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. This is Christ's table. It is set for us, and all are invited to receive. All are invited to receive together as it is God's grace in the way of gluten-free bread— and Welch's grape juice because I'm a good United Methodist. And I want to invite you as you receive, we will have one cup of juice and then one cup of bread. Receive the bread, receive the cup. And then you can take them back to your seat. You may pause in the, at the communion railing and receive there you may take a moment and sit in a pew and pray. This is your time to be filled with God's grace and know that we are in this together. Let us come and receive God's grace. I invite my communion stewards to come forward.